Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Is anybody thankful for that name? Is anybody thankful for that name? That was, that was worse than the first time. It usually gets better. That was worse than the first time. Is anybody thankful for that name? Yes. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys can be seated. excited to be here? Still not convinced. That was pretty bad. Well, I know the people online are excited to be here. We're so glad that you guys are tuning in. Um, it's time to give. It's time to sow. It's the best time of the service. This is how you really get over yourself, because <laughs> you think your money is yours. Mm, got quiet. You think your money is yours and that you worked hard for it, and you probably did. I get that. But it's the Lord who brings the increase. It's the Lord who provides. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we just want to give you guys the opportunity. There are envelopes for those of you who give cash and check. There's the text to give on the, in the, the numbers on the seat back there in front of you. And then online, of course, there's the giving tabs. You guys can give any of those ways. Um, if the ushers want to stand, I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, thank you. Lord, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just pray that the gift and the giver would just be blessed. Father, for the heart of the sower, Lord, that, that I just pray that it would just be increased hundredfold, Lord. I just thank you for, for everything that you're doing. Father, for the word that's coming forth and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We just yield to you, we submit to you, and we just allow you to have your way. Amen. Amen. Morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Have you missed me? Hallelujah. Well, I've missed you. Amen. And uh, we're going to start a new series today. And uh, I believe it will be beneficial. The Lord has given me a mandate this morning. And it's for those that are watching online and those that are here. But he said, proclaim my goodness to those that are weary. Proclaim my goodness to those that are weary. Now, you may not put yourself under that, but I can tell you people that are weary over the last two years. There are people that are weary and have been frustrated in their relationship with the Lord because it's went into that it's complicated area. How many know what I'm talking about? The devil wants to frustrate you in understanding God's basic nature. And he will use trial and test and, and uh, tribulation to get your eyes off of the goodness of God and begin to see him in a light that he was never meant to be seen in. 
the devil has done a smear campaign. And we talked about that last year on Wednesday night, a smear campaign that has frustrated the people of God and caused them to question their relationship with God and what he is doing in their life. Because many have lost loved ones over this period of time that they prayed for and believed God for, but yet they're not with us today. There are divorces that happen because you know what? When we began to go into the shutdown, people's lives weren't ready. They weren't ready to be together that much. They weren't. See, these, I think the devil. Hallelujah. Amen. But what we need to understand is, is we need to be able to delineate. We need to be able to delineate through the Word of God who the destroyer is and who the life giver is. Because if we can't delineate that, then we have missed Redemption 101 and we find ourselves open for deception. Now, you have Pastor Kenny Powers to thank for this video I'm about to show you. But uh, a pastor got tired of hearing all of the complaints because I'm telling you guys, if, if I as a parent was accused of what God is accused of, I would be in jail today in the innermost prison. But yet you have evangelists that come in our house and say that planes, God drove planes in the World Trade Center. And that just went all through me because there's not one scripture that tells me that and backs that up. And I'm here to proclaim the goodness of God. Amen. I'm here to proclaim the goodness of God. It's amazing to me how we begin to associate God more with the Old Testament than we do in the revelation of Jesus. It's as if the cross doesn't matter. Most people are more acquainted with Job's boils than Christ's stripes. They're more interested in uh, Paul's thorn than the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And it seems to me that the devil has duped us into associating the work of the enemy to the nature of God. And many times it comes from places like this. It comes from rostrums like this in which things are pronounced and proclaimed that are not the will of God, nor are, uh, can be substantiated from the Word of God. And so what, what I'm going to endeavor to do today is very simple. I'm going to reestablish the goodness of God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to reestablish that in your heart and in your mind because we are going into dark times. But the light of God will shine through His people. But I'm telling you, if the church does not have the ability to discern between good and evil, 
then we will find ourselves impotent in the days ahead because we won't be able to discern whether God's on the move or whether the enemy's on the move. And I'm here to tell you Jesus came to set the record straight. Oh, I could say a lot of things. But I'm going to let this video do some talking for me because this, this video shows you. This, a pastor made this because he got tired of, of seeing everything attributed to, to God that was negative and bad. So he began to do a series of videos. I'm only going to show you one, but there are many. You can look them up on YouTube. And uh, he kind of um, summed up what most believers' relationship with God is. Because most of us are, are wallowing in sin consciousness. Oh, I don't know if you want to hear this. We're wallowing in sin consciousness. And the brunt of our Christian walk is dealing with our sin to get closer to Him. When Jesus has dealt with our sin. And that we need to realize that we're not trying to get closer with Him, we're seated with Him. Oh, come on now. So he, he got, so he's going to show you through this old, basically he took an old, old, old picture of Jesus and he added his little voices to it, which are kind of quite hilarious. They're kind of like on the SpongeBob type of thing there. But it kind of, and we're not being, you know, sacrilegious or disrespectful. I'm just trying to get a point across. God is a good God. But we must define what that good is, goodness is. We must define it from the Bible, not from man's tradition and not from our own experience. And here's the problem. There, your experience can never trump the Word of God. It cannot trump the Word of God. I don't care what you experience. If Grandma died and everybody died around you, you must, uh, you must declare and decree and, and believe that the Word of God is the truth. Amen? Okay, so let's, let's watch this. I'm going to go ahead and turn this on here. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Philip, um, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Um, Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper.
Jesus, listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people or diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. Hello. Hello? Mm. That's not the God that I serve. Amen? Let's look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Hallelujah. Psalm 145, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, and this is something that you need to meditate on because the Bible reveals the goodness of God. And this was a psalm of David. I want you to notice this, a psalm of David. Now, the reason why it gives us the identity of the one who was allowed to write this down by inspiration of the Spirit is because of the vessel is as important as the message in the sense that the vessel kind of shows you the goodness of God. What, what he is saying has been experienced by him. Because David himself, you know, committed adultery and then had the husband killed. He was a womanizer. He was horrible dad. He was not a good dad at all. In fact, his sons, you know, often had problems with him. Okay? He was not perfect. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. And so when he declares this, he's not just declaring it as some kind of, you know, uh, poetry and prose. He's not just trying to write something just to be, you know, hyperbolic. And he's writing from experience. He's writing from the fact that he has received from the goodness of God. And that God has sustained him even in his darkest hour. He said once, he said, even though I make my bed in hell... God is with me. Amen? And some of you may have put that fitted sheet on today. But God is with you. Amen? Now notice what he says. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. <clears throat> they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let me repeat that. Let me repeat that. 
Because immediately when we find ourselves in times where we have failed, we believe that God is instantaneously cuts us off. It's just what the devil wants us to believe. And it's not true. Listen to these words. I'm not trying to give excuses for sin. I'm not trying to give excuses for you to live any way that you want to. The goodness of God should compel us to live holy, sanctified lives. But we also need to understand the nature of our Father. Because there's another uh, description of God that is in the church today that is legalistic and mean. In fact, there are denominations that will tell you today that God doesn't love you. God loves His Son. And because you're in His Son, that's why He loves you. But Jesus revealed in the Scriptures where He told His disciples, He said, The Father Himself loves you. The Father Himself loves you. I'm declaring and proclaiming the goodness of God to those who are tired and weak, to those who are afflicted and storm-tossed. I'm declaring the goodness of God because if God is your problem, you don't have a solution. Amen? Let me read that again. <clears throat> they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Oh, glory to God. Are you awake out there? Are you awake out there? Do you really believe this? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words, and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways. Oh, God. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways and kind in all of His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and do that. Amen. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
I'm a particularly attracted to, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Amen? Now, this is not in my notes, but I want us to look over, I believe, let's find it, Exodus 34, I believe. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses is interceding on behalf of the children of Israel who have failed miserably in their first steps of being in relationship and in covenant with God. And he beseeches on their behalf and intercedes for them. And the Lord repents. He repents. He changes his mind. Amen? And uh, he says, you know what, I'll, I'll show grace and mercy. And, uh, and, the, and Moses says, show me your glory. He said, show me your glory. And God says, no, I can't, you can't look on my face and live. We know that from the scripture. And he, he says, there's a cleft of the rock there. I'm going to put you in there and I'm going to pass before you. Okay? Now, in, in, in the 34th chapter, we see this happening and what the Lord does to show his glory is he proclaims. This is exactly what we're doing here. As we proclaim this morning, the goodness of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is going to be here. And he proclaims, you know, if, if you could say something about yourself, if I were to ask each of you to introduce yourself and give something that describes you you know you think about it long and hard well God for the first time is declaring who he is and he's declaring it to show his glory okay are you getting this because I sense the Spirit of the Lord right here. I know the Spirit of the Lord came with me. I know He came with you. He's here. He's manifesting in a corporate presence here this morning. And the reason why is we're proclaiming His goodness. Because when it came to showing Moses His glory, notice what the Lord said. Verse 6 of chapter 34. He says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. Notice this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That steadfast love is the word where we get the word uh, uh, cherries, and it means, uh, I'm not, um, goodness gracious, I messed up there. But steadfast love means covenant faithfulness is what it means. It means covenant faithfulness. It means that God is linked to us and he is forever steadfast and faithful to us. I believe it's cherith in, in, the, in, in the Hebrew. Um, but it, it, it means that he is, st to be steadfast means if you're climbing a mountain 
and you're putting holds up, and you're, you know, you want steadfast holds. You want holds that when the wind changes or something changes or a rock falls down, you want something to be able to hold on. He says that his love and his covenant faithfulness to you is so sure and steadfast that it will never remove itself. Now this is the glory of the Lord. This is the glory of the Lord being proclaimed to Moses and it's being proclaimed here this morning and it can be proclaimed in your car it can be proclaimed in your shower it can be proclaimed in that hospital room it can be proclaimed in that jail cell it can be proclaimed in the darkest night of your soul it can be proclaimed and isn't that what Paul and Silas did when they found themselves in the innermost prison they didn't complain and say why did God put us here and he allowed it They prayed and sang praises unto God because they knew that the glory of the Lord is, is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for, those, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty. Behold the goodness and severity of the Lord. Understand that. But it's the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. Amen? Don't preach one side and not preach the other. Amen? He says, He will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is faithful and just, but notice what he started off with. Notice that he started off with graciousness and mercy. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you getting a hold of this? Let's look at Psalm 118. I'm setting the foundation, and we'll get rocking here in about ten minutes or so. Amen. Just hold forth. People are more mad at God than they are the devil. Christians are more mad at God than they are the devil. I'm telling you what. The devil didn't put sickness on you. Didn't put sickness on your baby. Come on now. Didn't steal that child from you. Didn't steal that man from you. Didn't steal that woman from you. Oh, hallelujah. All right. I love this scripture right here. It's one of my favorite things. I'll probably have it on my tombstone if I don't go in the rapture. Okay. It says verse 1 of chapter uh, of Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For he is good. And his mercy endures how long? Just a little while. During COVID. I, I think it's great that Biden declared that COVID is no more. I'm, I just think that's wonderful that we got permission now from our... Yeah. God said it a long time ago on a cross 2,000 years ago. Hello. Your experience does not make the Word of God of none effect. It doesn't neutralize the Word of God. There are people that have lost loved ones and they're, they're mad at God. 
But Jesus came to delineate between the work of God and the work of Satan. And in fact, it wasn't fully realized. In fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hold schools of thought that God was both blesser and curser. Jesus comes to display the express... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. He begins to get rid of all of that junk and all that nonsense, and they were ready to kill him because he went against their tradition and against what they believed and what they had taught the people. And there's still churches today that still teach the same thing. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is going real good. I'm glad there's a light crowd here today. All right. But because God's got something for you here today. Amen. He's going to straighten out some, some stinking thinking. Amen. Hallelujah. I love the scripture that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? What? The Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Did you know that's the opposite of the way we operate? We always look before we taste. You know, I, we've got apples. I like a good apple. But I'm telling you, when I pick that apple up, I'm looking around. I'm looking for any soft spot. I'm looking for any kind of blemish or any kind of bruise or anything that would hinder my enjoyment of that apple. And then I'm going to wash it, and then I'm going to taste it. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit of God, they have to be tasted first. Before you see. Oh, come on now. They've got to be tasted first before you see. See, what does taste represent? Taste represents experience. The experience that God wants you to have of His goodness, of His greatness, of His faithfulness, of His love, of His steadfast love. Amen? It says taste and see. And when it comes to see, it means perception. So God wants His experience in your life to change your perception, to change how you see. He wants to bring an experience in your life that changes your perception of life. He wants you to taste and see. Have you ever tried to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit? It didn't make sense to you. I remember people explained me the baptism of the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again. And I couldn't explain it. I couldn't get my mind wrapped around it. But oh, when I went down and I had hands laid on me, and I exercised faith, not my mental Ill intellect, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then it just opened up to me. I saw, my goodness gracious, I should have been doing this for years and years before. It's the same way with salvation. We can get salvation explained to us all the time, and it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But God says, first taste and see. Oh, I'm here to tell you, taste and see. Amen? I'm reminded of Psalm 103, where he says, You satisfy my mouth with good things, so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the same principle right here. You see, in the physical, we take something in. We taste it, and we receive it. To in, inside of ourselves but when it comes to the things of God the reservoir of God on the inside of us has God's good things in it and it's not the going in it's the coming out 
It's what comes out of your mouth. Oh, come on, somebody here. It's what comes out of your mouth that you're able to taste and see that the Lord is good. When you begin to declare Jesus as Lord, you begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. When you see him as a baptizer in the Holy Spirit, you begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. When you take him as your healer and he becomes Jehovah Rapha in your life, you taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Our enemy is a master in semantics. And he likes to change definitions. When it comes to the word good, we see in the creation account or the creation hymn that over and over God saw that it was what? Good. He didn't use excellent, he didn't use superb. He didn't use perfect. He used good. Over and over again. And at the end of the creation hymn, it says that God looked at out all that his hand had made, and he saw that it was very good. Good is who God is. It's the substance of his very nature and of who he is. And anything he touches and anything that comes from him has the essence and the substance of his goodness. So anything that he does, you see, has the stamp of his goodness. But the devil wants to change the definition of this noun, of this verb, and of this adjective. Because it's all three. God is good, a noun. God does good, according to Psalm 119.68. You are good, you do good. It is a verb. Amen? But it's also a description of who he is. If we were to look at him, and one day you will gaze on the face of your Savior, and there will be one word that will come into your mind, and it will be, he is good. He is good. Now the enemy has tried to redefine what good is and tried to lower it down to a lower standard. In fact, in our culture, the word good is, is, is synonymous with mediocrity. Mm. That's a psyop of the devil. He wants you to get to think that there's something better. Isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve? He said, there's something better. God's withholding something from you. So if you were to fill out a survey of a card, like if you were at a motel or at a resort or something of that nature, and they have like six different things that you're able to, you know, comment on the cleaning, comment on the uh, accommodations, comment on stuff, and it would say, good, better, best. So good is the lowest level of best, but not where the kingdom of God is concerned. In this world, we're never satisfied. There's absolutely no best. I'm sorry, there is no best in this world. When it comes to the kingdom of God, good is the highest qualitative term that is used in regards to God and what He creates. You see, it is qualitative. You see, in the kingdom of God, it, good is the highest level. It means excellent. It means superb. It means perfect. It means holy. It, 
It means wholeness, completeness. It means it doesn't lack anything. When God says He is good and declares that He is good and we agree with His goodness, we're saying, God, You are not incomplete. You are whole. You are entire. You are self-sufficient. And see, a concept of goodness is absolutely integral, my friend, to your faith. Because if you can't put a definition to the goodness of God that is biblically accurate, then your faith is going to be undermined. Now, I want to look at this quote that we have here. If Mark will put it up here for me. This quote. Notice what A.W. Tozer said. He says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. Think about the fact that when test and trial come to your life and you begin to think about God, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about His Word? Are you thinking about Psalm 145? Are you thinking about taste and see that the Lord is good? No, you're in a mental battle. Because that's where the enemy shows up, right there. To try to dissuade you from the goodness of God. To try to change the definition of the goodness of God. Because, you know, we say God did this and He didn't do it. We say God steals, kills, and destroys and He doesn't. Or we say God allowed the stealing, the killing, and destroying. But I'm here to tell you if I knew that John John was going to be stolen from... And I didn't do anything about it? Oh, come on now. I'm complicit to that crime. But God is not complicit. Come on now. You see, the devil plays with words. In fact, if I would go through this crowd and I would have each of you define love, we would have different definitions I remember when I was uh, in high school and uh, they gave us these you know it was I believe it was in um, oh literature class and they, they had us describe I was in the ninth grade maybe they had us describe what is love what is love and at that time my heart was broken a girl had broke my heart Hello. And I put, love is having to say you're sorry every 10 minutes. <laughs> Hello. That was my perception at the time. Taste and see. Taste and see. See, my perception was altered by the pain that I had. Come on now. By the pain that I had received. And many of you, when we talk about love and we talk about faithfulness and mercy and things, these are concepts that have not been fully realized because you don't have any frame of reference to know what these things are because they have not been modeled. And that's really where we get our definition. We get our definitions from modeling. We can know the definition in Webster's. But be totally deceived and totally robbed because the intrinsic power within any word is its definition. 
And if it's de wrongly defined, then the power is, 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 is missing in the word. It's, it's, it's short-circuited. And if we don't understand what the goodness of God, and if we have any problem in thinking about the goodness of God, then the enemy will come in and rob and from us and will blame God for every transgression. Amen? Hallelujah. You're quiet in this Presbyterian house. Let's turn to John 10.10. 10. Hallelujah. When we begin to meditate on the goodness of God, the weariness leaves. The confusion leaves. The wrestling stops. Amen? Hallelujah. John 10.10. 10. Notice this. Jesus came to delineate between what was perceived as God's doing and what was the enemy's doing. And in fact, demonology was not even a topic that was of debate much in the Old Testament. There was not a real awareness of these things, although they understood them and although they did have exorcists and things of that nature. But it wasn't fully realized. It was only until Jesus came on the scene that demons began to manifest in the synagogue. <laughs> it was only when Jesus came on the scene that the unseen battle was brought into the forefront. That they realized that this wasn't just a, a, a religious walk of trying to be more and more acceptable to God, but that we were in a warfare for the souls of men. It was only until Jesus came on the scene that, that that awareness began to happen. In fact, people marveled. In fact, what set Jesus' ministry apart from any and all ministry is his confrontation with demon spirits. And that includes the healing of sickness and disease. Because you can't necessarily delineate between the two. Because he says he went out healing and casting out devils. So it means that there were devils associated with sickness. I'm sorry to tell you, but there were. The woman bowed over in Luke 13. She was bowed over by a spirit of infirmity. Once the spirit of infirmity left, she was straight. Because there's lots of foolish thinking. In fact, the book of Job has been used to malign God and to, and, to, and to smear His name. And that was never intended for that. If you read the book of Job and you read it the way you're supposed to read it with the Holy Spirit and understanding it from the rest of the context of the Word of God because you can't take one scripture and make a doctrine out of it. You will see that it was Job's pride that got him in problems. That's the reason why he talked to him about Leviathan. Because Leviathan is the spirit of pride. And it's only when he prayed for his friends, so-called friends, that he was able to release himself from that spiritual pride. There was many times that Job said that he was righteous. He began to declare that he was he, he, there, this shouldn't have happened to him because he was and I'm telling you he was in spiritual and religious pride 
But no, we don't want to read that. We want to read that God's behind the scene working with the devil to try to get Job to pray. Reason why this happened to you is because God wants you to get closer to Him. Well, I've been in the hospital. I almost died. Only prayer I prayed, Lord, help me. I, I, I don't have the strength to even open my body. I don't have the strength. That's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. To incapacitate you. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We got, we got a long time. Me love you a long time today. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief is God the thief. Is Jesus a thief? You'd be surprised how many people think. God took that job away from me to teach me a lesson. Hello? God put me on this hospital bed, so I heard one guy say this, and I don't mean this demeaning. God put me flat on my back on this hospital bed, so all I could do was look up. Well, maybe if you were looking at this, it's amazing how we give ourselves when we feel powerless, we make excuses. Instead of really earnestly seeking the Lord, the Lord must be pursued. Did you know that? There must be pursuit. Not because God is withholding and going, okay, you're almost there, and then moves. It's because you've got opposition. There's opposition that keeps you from, you know, experiencing certain things, and that you have to break through. You have to break through that opposition by using your authority on this side. Amen? Hallelujah. This is going to be good. All right, I promise you. All right, it says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? So Jesus, if he stopped right there, that'd be enough revelation, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be enough revelation to realize that it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? So that means this, that anything that steals, kills, and destroys is from the thief. Does sickness steal? Does it kill? Does it destroy? How about poverty? Does it steal? Does it kill? Does it destroy? Hello, what about relational trouble? What about divorce? Does divorce steal, kill, and destroy? Absolutely it does. Hello? What about murder? What about war? Does it steal, kill, and destroy? Absolutely it does. So that tells you who does that. And it ain't Greg saying it, it's Jesus. It's red letter Jesus says, the thief comes to steal. If you'll get a hold of this revelation, it'll change your life. 
Because some of you are getting stolen from. Some of you are getting killed in your business, killed in your relationships. Some of you are being destroyed, and that word destroy means to be brought to nothing. You're being brought to absolute nothing. You don't have to be six foot in the ground to be dead in this world. He has neutralized you. He has neutered you. And you're saying God's doing it. Well, God's just trying to teach me. He gave you a book. He gave you teaching gifts. He gave you the Holy Spirit. And He gave you a church. That's what He teaches with. Let that sink in. Notice this. I, notice this, came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I have come that you might have life. He said, I am come that you might have life. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and not just any life, life more abundant. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, I am, that's an I am statement, He said, I am the, what kind of shepherd? Well, that means there's other shepherds out there. Because he's not saying, I'm a shepherd. Oh, come on now. He's not just saying, I'm a shepherd. He's saying, I'm a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So there's a bad shepherd out there. There's a bad flock out there. Hello? Hello? He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the whole shepherd. I am the holiness shepherd. I am the perfect shepherd. I am the... Hello? Now, we don't really understand that term very much about shepherding. There's not much shepherding going on, although you can go in places in Oklahoma where, you know, sheep are raised. But in their culture, I mean, a shepherd was known by the care of his flock. And so they would run them through the roads. And they would take them on journeys to get to places in which they would graze and get water and and exercise and make them healthy. Sometimes they would take them to the shears, you know, and things of that nature. But you would know the quality of the shepherd by the quality of the sheep. And so if, if a shepherd is walking through the streets of a town and those sheep are all, you know, got broken legs and, uh, you know, they look like they've been, you know, run through the ringer, would that be considered the good shepherd? Would you say that's a good shepherd? No, I know this is Sesame Street here this morning, but I'm telling you, this is life and death. Because there's a lot of crazy ideas out there that are irrespective of the Word of God, that are based upon experience, that are based upon someone's weird idea about who God is, and they're bringing it in. Hello? He is the good shepherd. And what, what defines him as the good shepherd? Notice this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Satan will never lay his life down for you. Amen? He lays his life down. He gives up his life for the sheep. And Jesus has done it. Jesus hung on the cross, became your substitute so that he could become your good shepherd. So that you and I could say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 1. In the next remaining minutes that I have here. Hebrews chapter 1. In verse number 3. Jesus is the good shepherd, right? It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Very simple. But you can't believe how many people wrestle with that in hospital rooms, prison cells, divorce courts. When their kids have said, I no longer want to be a part of your life. I'm telling you, the enemy comes in. He says, you know, God is doing this to teach you a lesson, to get you to pursue him. Well, I'm telling you what, there were times that things happened in my life. I didn't want to pursue the Lord if it was God. Why would I want to get slapped again? Oh, come on now. You don't think that way? I think that way. And I'm a preacher. Hello? There's been times I've wanted to quit here. Because I thought, man, you know, if this is God dealing with me, my goodness. This ain't worth it. I'll go sell encyclopedias door to door when no one buys them. Than to do, come on now. But I'm here to tell you that is not the case. I'm here to tell you that God is not the mountain builder. He's the mountain destroyer. He's not the giant feeder. He's the giant killer. Amen? Hallelujah. Some of you don't sound convinced. But notice this. This will get you. This will get you, all right? This will get you. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, it said, well, let's look at verse number 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. So that means that the revelation that you and I are supposed to feed on I'm all for reading the Old Testament. I read it. This is not a separated book. This is a one book. But the Bible is progressive in its revelation. We have to understand that. I must look at the Old Testament in light of the speaking of His Son. Because Jesus enables me to see clearly from behind and from before. I can see clearly behind and I can see clearly before because of the cross. See, people that teach Job and everything, they need to realize that the cross happened after Job. So get a clue. The cross, people preach like the cross doesn't even matter. But the cross didn't do anything. I'm here to tell you, the cross did everything. It changed everything. Amen? So he, he says, in these last days, he's spoken to us 
by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power now I love that the word uh, there where it says he is the exact imprint of his nature that is a Hebrew, uh, Greek word that means substance Jesus is the substance of God. He's the very substance of God. What did we say the substance of God was? Good. So Jesus is the epitome of the goodness of God. Amen? Okay, all right. Look at John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6. I'm taking you somewhere. John chapter 6. In verse number 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I didn't come down to do my own will. I'm doing the will of him who sent me. So basically, what is he saying? I am here doing the will of the Father who gave the law to Moses. I'm here to do the will. I'm the express image. I am the perfect image of God. Remember in John 14, he said to his disciples, if you have seen me, oh, how we forget it. If, we've, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what we need to understand, and this may be scandalous for you to hear, is that because the Bible is progressive revelation, you don't get the full view of God in the Old Testament. God is dealing with people who are fallen in nature. He has to come into a physical covenant with them, and He has to deal with them accordingly. And people will use all of the judgments that God put upon the Israelites as a means of the New Testament. But the cross changed everything. God does not deal with us based upon His perfect law. God deals with us based upon His perfect Son. It's a difference. Now, does that negate what God said in the past? Absolutely not. It was a progressive revelation that led us to Christ. Is it applicable? Is it good? Is it holy? Absolutely every word of God is good. But man was in a different condition. The angels did not say horrible tidings of judgment said good tidings of great joy for men now notice what the, the, the actual Greek says in whom God is well pleased it means God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ has changed his dealings with men Oh, yeah. I'm just preaching the gospel to you. Acts 10.38.
Acts 10.38. I'd be more slick if I didn't have this handheld, but uh, I'm a little bit tied down here. Acts 10. Verse number 38. Are you okay with this? You got a few more minutes? Verse number 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing what? Who went about doing what? Good. What he defines that good. He defines that good right now. Who went about doing good and healing. Oh my goodness, God. And he healed some. Is that what it said? No, he healed all that were oppressed of the devil. So sickness is oppression. Sickness is of the thief. Oh, come on now. It steals, it kills, it destroys. But God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing what? Who went about doing what? And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. Jesus wasn't doing it on the sly. Jesus wasn't doing it behind the Father's back. God was with him healing the oppressed of the devil. Hallelujah. Oh, let's look at 1 John. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. If I say something and it ain't by the Bible, you have no right, no obligation to even give it a thought. Because what I say is unimportant. It's what this is. This is truth. When I speak it, I speak truth. When I speak of myself, not all the time. Amen? Not all the time. And you too. Regardless of what you think about yourself. You too. Amen? Now notice what uh, 1 John chapter 3 says here. And I'm going to look at the latter portion of this verse. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? But yet the works of the devil are being ascribed to God. The very things that Jesus came to destroy are being blamed on him. Amen? Now how many like the show Pawn Stars? Have you ever watched Pawn Stars? I was, you know, watching a little bit of Pawn Stars, and uh, they were bringing in old books. These people, it was a, a segment in which they brought in these old books, and they would, uh, you know, of course, bring these books to sell, okay? And these books were old. Some of them were very, very old. The Federalist Papers, things of that nature, old Tom Sawyer. I mean, it was first edition of many of our um, famous books, you know, in, in, in the world. They would bring them, you know, to these guys at this pawn shop. 
uh, to sell them. Now, the pawnbroker who was there, you know, Chumley's my favorite, but, uh, but anyway, you know, Rick or whoever, you know, they're, they're in there and they're looking at, they don't know. They can kind of know a little bit by their experience, but uh, they don't really know. And so they bring in an expert. They bring in someone who is schooled in the field and who comes to legitimatize that this book is worth what this person is asking for. Okay? They are authenticators. And they will look at different aspects of the book. They will look at the weaving of the material of the paper. They will look at the inks that are used and the colors that are used. In fact, if they're looking at a famous painting from Van Gogh or, or some of the others, they will, they will realize that uh, they only use certain types and colors and that the colors are very, very um, indicative of the artist. And so they'll, they'll be able to examine that, if this is the right color. Uh, when they brought in, this one lady brought in a guitar signed by all four of the Beatles. It was an acoustic guitar. So it had John Lennon's supposed signature on it, Paul McCartney, you know, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. And so they're having to, you know, authentic, they need that authenticated. Well, they brought in someone who authenticates the value of the thing that's being brought, you know, to be sold. And so they'll look at it, and, and they, they realize that it wasn't John Lennon's signature. He, he was able to go back and, and go back to things in the past and bring it in and said, no, that's not really how he does his in or his E is off or whatever. And then they'd look at the weaving of the book. No, this isn't from the 15th century. This isn't from here. This, is, this has been redone. They would know all this stuff, and then they'd be able to give you see, a uh, adjusted price to the item, okay? All right? What we need to understand is, is that when the devil tries to bring in a substitute, when he brings in, he says, you know what? That sickness, that COVID, it was meant to, you know, listen, I, I, I went through a situation in which, you know, I almost died. Did it change my life? Yes. Did God use that situation to bring me to a deeper place and a deeper revelation? Yes, he did. But it also required my willingness to be obedient. It wasn't that, because I could have just went ahead and died. I could have just went ahead and, and continued to be sickly. I could have I said, no, I'm choosing not to believe because this happened to me and I'm not going to do it. I could have chose not to access the promises that I had. Do you understand that? Just because tragedy comes in your life does not mean that you're going to learn from it. Some of the most ignorant people are the sick and the broke. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm not, not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to, to, to explain to you that we don't base it upon counterfeits. And God is, 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 wants to do great things in your life, and he is good. 
This person was laying something and said, this is good, this is 15th century, this is Chaucer, the Canterbury Tales. You need to, you know, this is worth so much. Well, they were able to look at it. They were able to look at the artwork within it. It had very authentic artwork in it, very authentic colors in it, very authentic ways in which things were written. Maybe it was signed or a, a, a note was written in the book. They began to investigate everything. There is an authentication to whether it is good or whether it is evil. And the authentication is the renewed mind to the Word of God. Your renewed mind to the Word of God serves as your authenticator as to whether what you are coming up against is good or evil. And if I'm having trouble being able to discern whether this storm is from God or from the devil, all i got to do is call my experts in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they're the ones that began to show us the nature of Jesus Christ. And I never one time ever saw Jesus bless a storm. I never saw one time Jesus put a sickness or curse a town. I never saw one time, even when he stood before Pontius Pilate and Herod, he never cursed. In fact, the Bible says that he was cursed and he did not curse back. He did not revile back. He did not flash back. He could have called ten legions of angels, but he chose absolutely not to. He kept his mouth shut so that you could get your mouth open. I never saw one time where he turned anybody away. The Bible says that all that came to him, they walked away with their needs met. I'm here to tell you, that's the God we serve. He is a good God. I said he is a good God. He is a good shepherd. And if he took care of those that were seeking after him, if he took care of those that were on the outskirts, and may never have made a decision for him, how much more is he going to take care of his flock, of his human sheep that are in his fold? How much more is he going to heal? How much more is he going to help? How much more is he going to protect the people that he has been in his own pasture? He is going to take care of you. He will always take care of you. Don't doubt it. Believe it. God is good. Hallelujah. God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's my second quote. Let's put it up there. Our faith functions to the degree that we believe God is good. Let me say that again. Our faith functions to the degree that we believe. God is good. Why does the devil try to undermine the goodness of God? Because he's coming after your faith. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 
The devil knows that better than you do. So he begins to try to convince you and change what goodness is to undermine your faith. In James chapter 1 and verse number 7, let's one more scripture and then I'm going to close it out. I believe we have it up. James chapter 1, it says, Every, what's that next word? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow. Come on now. Let's, there's no variation. There's no shady spots. God doesn't have backroom deals, underhanded dealings with you. There's no shadow of turning with Him. There's no variation of shade with God. And every good and every perfect gift comes down from Him. That means there's other gifts. And there's other givers of gifts. And you've got to be able to discern between a good God and a bad devil. I know that sounds so simple, but I'm telling you it's life and death. One will raise you up off a deathbed and one will put you right in the ground. One will sink your business like the Titanic and one will cause it to rise up and go against the waves and the wind. Come on now. You've got to believe God is good. God is good. Because if He's against you, there ain't nobody bigger, baby. There ain't nobody bigger. But so often we're so confused. The battle is for God's goodness. But I'm here to declare and proclaim to you, God is good. God is good. Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to have counselors that are going to be up here. If you haven't experienced the goodness of God and His great salvation for you, they're up here to pray with you. If you're here and you've been battered and storm-tossed and you just need to get reacquainted with a good God, they're here to help you. Also, He's got good gifts. The baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, they'll be able to assist you there. He also has healing for you and deliverance. These are good things. Our God is good and He does good. So I've explained to you that He is good. Come experience His goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Some quick announcements.